0: I'm grateful for children's workers, too, uh, that invest their lives into our children. Aren't you grateful for them? Pray for them. Pray for them. <laughs> and pray for our kids. Those are those are important times that they spend hearing the Word of God and growing. So, um, Last week, I took time to introduce um, what I think is going to be a great theme through this next year. I know... Um, we're not all able to come to church every week, and so I think it's good that we kind of reiterate that. Our theme for this coming year is Becoming One. Becoming One. Our, our theme, our direction, is simply uh, meant to, to help us live under this banner and to walk in this direction of becoming one in this place, not only in this church family, but with our community and with the mission that God has called us to. Um you know, and and it won't. It, it's not it's not binding. It's not the only thing we're going to talk about this year. Um, it might get a little old after a while. But for the month of January, I thought it was important that we just kind of dig into what that might mean and and how we might uh, accomplish that. So um, I, I think it's important that we. Uh, reiterate that we're not going to have 52 sermons on becoming one (laughs) but just in the month of january focusing on that theme a little bit um really as it has taken shape in my mind and in my spirit for the for for the person already following christ it really has to be this interior to exterior journey okay so uh, as we think about becoming one we start with the very center of who we are becoming one with christ but that's our that's our center point that's that's where we need to start that that finding finding uh, unity with Christ and unity with the spirit is a, is a very interior journey something that we have to work on um, and something that's very personal uh, and then it, and then it grows a little bit what does it mean to become one with our family how do I invest into the lives that you saw as they gather up there were a lot of them um, uh, as they gather Uh we each have that responsibility in our own lives to to become one with our family, to to assess what do they need and how can I care for them and how how can I encourage them to walk closer to Jesus and to walk with the Lord. As we move on, we become one with our community. What does it mean to represent Christ in the community of Mountain Home? You know that answer better than I do. I've only been here a month and a half. Little plug for newcomers dinner coming up on the twenty sixth. I'm going. This, this is <laughs> this is my first one, uh, and so you can join me if if you're if you've just come and want to hear a little bit more about the mission and life of our church, uh, come to newcomers dinner. But but what does it mean? You guys have been doing it for years, many of you for decades. What does it mean to become one with our community and to really invest in the areas of need that that we find? in this place. I'm still learning. I don't know the answers to these questions. I have lots to learn. Uh, but some of you know much better than I do. And what does it mean? Uh, so taking one step further, what, is it, what does it mean to be one with the greater body of Christ that we find around the world? I talked about this a couple weeks ago. There's other churches in in this town proclaiming the name of Christ. We pray for them. We lift them high. We're not in competition with them, but we walk alongside of them proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ because there's people that don't know Christ in this community, and we, we, we walk lockstep with them in proclaiming the name of Christ to this community. Uh, but then the greater body of Christ outside of, out, outside of Mountain Home, the world is bigger than Mountain Home. Uh, the world is bigger than Idaho and even America How do we join with our brothers and sisters around this world to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, the one who's worthy of our praise? And then even greater, what does it mean to become with all of God's creation? Not in some metaphysical, spiritual, weird sort of way, uh, and yet how do we care for this creation, this gift that God has given to us? Um, How do we become one with creation in that way? Caring for it, and doing what's best for it, and worshiping God as we do so. But I want you to think about this theme of becoming one from this angle, from the perspective of one who's not chosen to follow Christ yet. I want you to think about that for just a moment. It is likely an exterior to interior journey for them. For one who's not yet followed Christ, I believe that it might be an exterior to an interior journey for them. That they will will likely need to feel like they belong amongst the worshiping body of Christ before it becomes a way of life. That they have to experience this sense of becoming one on the outside. Church, that's our job. That's where we get to step up. That's where we get to participate with them that when they come, They feel this sense of family when they come into this place. It's important. It's important that you participate in that journey first before it becomes a way of life for them, before they choose to follow Christ. That's where we get to step in and and participate in their journey of becoming one first exterior on the exterior as the body of Christ with them until such a time comes that they make that internal choice, I think I'm going to follow Jesus. I I see something different in these people, and I want to participate with them in the body of Christ. So as I thought about this whole theme of becoming one, I, I saw the differences for us, for those who are following Christ and those who maybe yet have not chosen to follow Christ, and it's almost opposite. But what a journey that we start with this family, and, and we get to participate with people uh, in, in experiencing the love of Christ and, and finding a sense of belonging in this place. And we journey towards the center until we experience Christ, and then we start this new journey that expands and opens our eyes to the world in which we live. What a beautiful, I, I want to participate in that story with people, don't you? Let's do it. Let's do it, Mountain Home. As we continue our month, um, uh, focusing on this theme, our text this morning is going to come from the book of 2 Kings. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up. If you have a device that has the words of Scripture, point it to 2 Kings chapter 22. We're starting with verse 1. I I shared this with the staff, and one of them said, wow, there's a lot of names in here. So I got some Old Testament name work to do here. You'll uh, put up with me if I... If I uh, stumble a little bit, but oh, out of reverence for the word of God, would you stand as we read uh, 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 1 uh, through 13. Let's read. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he ruled for 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedediah, and she was Ad- Adiah's daughter and was from Bozkath. He did what was right in the Lord's eyes and walked in the ways of his ancestor David, not deviating from it even a bit to the right or left. In the 18th year of King Josiah's rule, he sent the secretary, Shaphan, Azaliah's son, to Mesholem's grandson to the Lord's temple with the following orders. Go to the high priest Hilkiah, have him carefully count the money that has been brought to the Lord's temple and that has been collected from the people by the doorkeepers." It should be given to the supervisors in charge of the Lord's temple, who in turn should pay it to those who are in the Lord's temple repairing the temple, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. It should be used to pay for lumber and quarried stone to repair the temple. But there is no need to check on them regarding the money they receive because they are honest workers. The high priest Hilkiah told Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the instruction scroll in the Lord's temple. Then Hilkiah turned the scroll over to Shaphan, who read it. Shaphan, the secretary, then went to the king and reported this to him. Your officials have released the money that was found in the temple and handed it over to those who supervise the work of the Lord's temple. Then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a scroll. And he read it out loud before the king. As soon as the king heard what the instruction scroll said, he ripped his clothes. The king ordered the priest, Hilkiah, Shaphan's son, Sorry, Ahikam, and Micaiah's son, Akbor, Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah, the royal officer, as follows. Go and ask the Lord on my behalf, and on behalf of the people, and on behalf of all Judah, concerning the contents of this scroll that has been found. The Lord must be furious with us, because our ancestors failed to obey the words of this scroll and do everything written in it about us. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you please be seated? Uh, I love my kids. They're all worried right now. They're all worried. Uh, I really love babies. Um, I, I, I kind of go a little bit mushy and morph into something a little gooey uh, when I get to hold a newborn baby. Um, there's just something about it. There are, there are people who get a bit a bit nervous around those newborns. That's not me. That's not me. I could, I could hold them all day. The absolute best is being in a comfy recliner and having the newborn baby just fall asleep on your chest. And then it puts you right to sleep, too. Um, nothing, there's, there's been a couple unauthorized photographs that have occurred and showed up on Facebook with me sleeping, with the baby sleeping on top of me. But there's nothing better. Um, but something happens to newborns. Newborns turn into babies, babies turn into toddlers, toddlers turn into children, children turn into teenagers, into young adults, and somewhere along there we cross that magical line and we are adults. I don't know when that happens. I'm still waiting. Um, (laughs) Then I realized I have seven kids and maybe I should already be there, but I don't know. But as we listen to the text today, it's incredible to think about the reality of what we find in this story. Uh, We're not going to be talking about child development today. I'm not an expert. Um, I've seen a lot of children develop, but (laughs) I'm not an expert. But this passage is truly amazing. I want you to think about an eight year old. I want you to think about an eight year old king. It's a little scary. (laughs) I've had a few eight year olds, it's a little scary. Um, at least for me. I don't, I don't know how much time you've spent reading through the Old Testament. Uh, the stories in first, the stories we find in 1st and 2nd Kings are pretty monotonous a lot of the time. Uh, so-and-so was king of Israel, the northern kingdom, uh, for this many years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. It um, uh, gives a few details, might tell how he died. Uh, or so-and-so ruled Judah, the southern kingdom, for this many years. Um, usually a reference to what happened during that king's tenure, um, or in, or in the nation uh, during that time, and then it kind of uh, records that there's there's records of the the of Judah's or Israel's leaders um, in, in the official record books that they kept for the nation. Um, every once in a while, these were a little less frequent. You can find record of a king who is praised for doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. There's usually uh, at least a few sentences, in explanation of, of what that king did, um, and, and maybe how, how that rule went, how that king's reign went. And at the end, there's a reference to the official records of the king for, for both Israel, uh, the northern kingdom, or Judah, the southern kingdom. But we have this back and forth, this push and pull of leaders in these two nations. Somebody will do good, and then somebody will do really bad. Uh, according to the text, sometimes we're not given a lot of context. Sometimes there's not uh, a whole lot of uh, explanation as to why someone did good and and followed the ways of the Lord, or why somebody did bad and did evil in the sight of the Lord. One king, I looked this up. One king, King Zimri of the northern Northern Kingdom Israel, ruled for a grand total of seven days. First Kings sixteen. But he made the book. <laughs> it was seven days. Um, but what's fascinating to me is how these kings, these leaders of countries who ruled for varying periods of time are kind of reduced to a couple sentences. That leading a nation for a period of time reduced to a couple sentences. But every once in a while in some of these books, uh, some of the chapters of these books, you'll run across a king who gets a couple of chapters or more. Um, David gets about about half of the book And when you go over to, to the Chronicles. First and Second Chronicles looks a lot like First and Second Kings. But King David gets all, over half of the book of First Chronicles. Uh, and this is one of those expanded stories as we look into the reign of Josiah, ruler of Judah at the ripe old age of eight years old. But I'm struck by a couple of questions that kind of rise to the surface for me um, as I read this passage. And here's the two questions. The first question is this. Who was it in Josiah's life that steered him towards God? He was eight years old when he took over the kingdom. And, and I just have to trust. I just have to believe. This isn't in the text, so I'm kind of making this up. I'm kind of believing that, that this had to be the case because a lot of eight-year-olds who get a lot of control and power, at least the ones I've experienced, I don't think would turn to God, wouldn't, wouldn't search for that, wouldn't seek that out without someone steering them towards God. The second question is this. How did this young man remain humble and teachable? How did this young man remain humble and teachable? I think there's evidence from the passage that he was sensitive to God's leading. That's clear. When, we, when he heard the scroll, he became distraught. Uh, sometime this week, I want you to look up Second Chronicles chapter 34 and 35. If you're going to remember that, you got to type that into your phone. Second Chronicles 34 and 35 um, are are the parallel passage uh, of King Josiah and his reign. Uh, and I want you to look that up. We don't have time to read that. It, it, it's kind of a little bonus scripture uh, for your week this week. But in those chapters, the timeline of Josiah's reign is kind of spelled out with a little more specificity. This is a little more more detail uh, to what he did. So at age 8, according to 2 Chronicles 34, he became king. And then at 16, it says he, he began to pursue God at the age of 16. Do you think the youth group is important? Do you think those years from 13 to 18 are important in the spiritual development of your children, of our children? Yes, they are. I'm so grateful for Pastor Val. Uh, and her investment in the lives of teens, Pastor Adriana, teaching our kids, those moments of development are so critical. And then at age 20, according to the Second Chronicles 34, it says this, he started cleansing the nation, purifying it from the mistakes that had been in the past. And then at 26, he finds this scroll. He's discovered, he, it was read to him and he's cut to the heart. The Lord must be furious with us, it says. And as we look to that timeline, I'm drawn to that first question. Who was there for Josiah? Who was the voice that spoke into his life from age 8 to 16 that caused him to seek the Lord? The text doesn't tell us. It doesn't give us uh, any information about who that person might be. But we know that the Jeremiah, the prophet, uh, was actively uh, or active prophetically during this time. Um, 2 Kings mentions the prophetess Huldah. Zephaniah is believed to be their contemporary as well. So there's, there's, there's biblical characters um, that seem to be present, but, but the way the story is presented, it's almost like they don't get involved until uh, this, the very end when, when he starts to, to go to, uh, when he sends his secretary on behalf of the nation uh, to, the, to the prophetess Huldah and that's when their involvement begins and really uh, starts to take shape. Um, but I just, I, I imagine, and again, this is, this is a kind of a stretch beyond the text a little bit, but I, I, I really don't know that there's any other way to get there other than there was somebody in Josiah's life, somebody close to the king was a faithful worshiper of Yahweh, someone who worshipped and in little casual ways spoke truth into Josiah's life, pointing him and steering him Um, over the past uh, seven years or so, uh, I got the chance in my former church to work alongside uh, of a friend of mine. Lori was our, our front office guru um, and did, did so much to support us ministry staff, much like Lisa does here for, for Debbie, Val, and I. Um, uh, Lori was an avid reader, and she had fallen in love with with eBooks and audio books. Okay? She, for a time, she, she was hooked on these autobiographies, so people that would tell their story uh, of their life, um, and, and people who had come from very broken places. Uh, she loved stories of redemption, where, where people's lives were turned around: the down and out, the broken, the abused, those taken advantage of. She loved to hear their stories and how they how they broke out of those places. Um, and she would always share. She would, she would be like, Trent, I was reading a book, and I'm like, oh, Jesus. Another. Another book. I need to become a better reader. I'm going to confess to my boss here. I, I, I need to become a better reader, a more avid reader. Um, but she would always start with, I, I was reading this book the other day. Um, one day she came to me and she said this, Trent, you know what? In all of these stories, in every single one that I read, there's always a person. And I was, yeah, that's what autobiographies are. They're, they're, they're right about their life. And she's like, no. She called me a twit. Um, and she said, <laughs> There's always a person, someone of deep faith, someone who goes to church and believed in Jesus and made the difference in their lives. There was always a person that pointed out a new way to live. These aren't Christian stories. These aren't, you didn't buy these at the Christian bookstore. These are just people telling their story. And she said there's always somebody there. There's always a glimpse of someone of deep faith pointing people towards a more healthy life and toward toward Christ. Why? Because we need that. Don't you need that? Don't you need someone in your life? Each of us need that. And we need someone to point the way to Christ to help us and push us in that next step. I think Josiah needed that. little eight-year-old kid. About 16, he gets serious about, uh, about pursuing God. Um, I need that. Your pastor needs that. I need somebody in my life pushing me to Jesus, kind of pointing the way, kind of guiding me. That's why I love the covenant service on Wednesday night. It's just another reminder, another point towards Christ. Um, guess what? Our, our DS needs that needs somebody in his life pointing him towards Christ, pointing him to that next step. The Apostle Paul writes about that. Do you remember that? Philippians 3, not that I have already obtained all this, but I press on for the goal to which Christ has called me heavenward. No one is excluded from that need. And can I also say we, we have people who, who need some, someone to walk with them and point them to Christ in our midst. Some of us have walked with Christ for a long time. I'm 42 years old. There's some of you that are a little older than I am. I think, and some of you have walked with Christ for more than 42 years. We need to step into those roles for other people. I think. I think. I think. We talked about the kids. We talked about the teens. I, I was just taking, uh, talking to someone this this week who, who. Their ministry and their role. Uh, happens outside the walls of this church. And they're committed to, to investing in the lives of, of people uh, outside of this place. And that's a way that we can, we can point people toward God. But there are needs here too. And, and, and God will stir your hearts. I totally trust the Holy Spirit to lead us and to nudge us, but the Spirit doesn't coerce us. Do you know that? Holy Spirit doesn't, doesn't take over our bodies and tell us what to do. We have to participate. We have to be sensitive. We have to hear. We have to listen. And we have to decide that, yes, I'm going to do that. So here's the question. Who is steering you toward God, and who are you steering? And then there's that second question. How did this kid remain humble and teachable? What does it take to keep this attitude. Go back to his timeline. He was king at eight. He began to seek God at 16. And by 20, he's saying, we got to clean some things up around this place. And then at 26, he repents on behalf of a nation. And he describes how the Lord must be grieved over the choices the nation had made. And in the final step of repentance, he began to help a nation to walk in a new direction, to begin to honor God again. I think this is one of the most respar- remarkable stories of leadership that we find in the Bible. It's not terribly unique. Josiah's reforms didn't uh, save the nation from being destroyed. It wasn't a couple years after his reign that King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon would surround the city of Jerusalem and overthrow it. Uh, they'd loot the valuables, they'd burn down and, or, or tear down and burn the important buildings, drag the people in exile back to Babylon. Josiah's reform didn't change any of that. Why is it so significant? The reason I'm so amazed by this passage is how this young child is able to have such incredible power and authority and still be so humble and teachable and penitent toward God. He didn't have great predecessors. He didn't have great examples in front of him. He didn't have good models to look to and how to lead a country well over 50 years of rulers who were evil in the sight of the Lord. And this 8-year-old kid figures it out. Children are so amazing. They impress me. But what does it take? What does it take for you and me? How do we learn the lesson offered by Josiah here to remain humble and to remain teachable? I tell you what, you and I are not kings. <laughs> I don't I don't know... Uh, how this, this 8 or 16 or 20-year-old was able to do it, but he, he did remain humble, and he was king. But I'll tell you this. You and I have become part of uh, or a product of culture uh, of which we are a part here. And, and it's a culture that really pushes us toward these kind of attitudes. I'm enough. I got this. I can figure this out. There, there's a YouTube video for that. <laughs> right? Uh, And it's celebrated. It's celebrated in our culture. Rugged individualism. I'm going to figure it out. Now, now don't misunderstand me. Do-it-yourself YouTube videos are a part of my life. They aren't all bad. Um, But that mindset of, I've got this, can spill over into unhealthy places in your spiritual life. That mindset of, you know what? I've got this, can spill into our spiritual life and trick us into thinking, I don't I don't need to grow. I, I don't need the people around me. I'm not sure I need community. Me and God, we got this. And I believe Christ calls us to something greater. The truth is we don't got this. The truth is we are still in need. Of a Savior. The truth is, we still have room to grow. The truth is, we need community. We're better together. Me and you and our DS and even Paul still have room to grow and still need each other. Not only do we need that teachable spirit, but we need to adopt the posture of yes. I love Josiah's posture about what he finds, what he hears read in the scrolls. One of, one of our church's core values is we don't stay the same. I, I, I adopted that. It's, it's right here on the pulpit to remind me what our core values are. And I've left it up. It's a little weathered, but it says that we don't stay the same. We're going to change. We're going to get better. We're going to follow the direction from God that we hear and that we're given. He knew the kingdom had gone astray and sought from that point forward to make changes and to live different and to live better as a nation. First as a person, but also as a nation. As we walk forward this year and as we're guided by our theme of becoming one, we need this. As we saturate ourselves in the word of God, God will speak to us. God will instruct us. And my question is this, will we have the posture of yes, like Josiah? That is what it will take. This is what God asks of us. I really think God has some incredible days ahead for us in our church. I believe that. I hope you believe that too. I hope, I hope you're excited to see what that is. But in order for us to experience all that God has, we must adopt this teachable spirit and we must carry ourselves with the posture of yes. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up and lead us in a final song. But before they do, maybe today God is speaking to you. God's speaking to you about having that person who steers you toward God. Maybe you need to ask somebody, Maybe you need to ask a mentor. Maybe you need to ask a friend. Maybe you need to ask a pastor. Hey, pastor, I need somebody to point me toward God. Maybe you need a spiritual friend or a director. Maybe, to God, maybe today God is saying it's time, time for you to find a way to steer others towards God. Finding a place to serve. Finding a place to get involved. And saying, I've got some years behind me. I've got some wisdom. I have something to offer. How can I invest? How can I be involved? Or maybe today you're reminded that the journey toward Christ is one of teachability that requires us to remain ready to say yes to God. Let me say this. When God leads, you can say no. Don't make that mistake. Don't make that mistake this year. If you need to grow this way today, let God lead and follow with the posture. Of yes, will you pray with me? God, we're so grateful today for your word, which guides us, instructs us, and leads us and teaches us today. I'm so grateful for this church that's been faithful in ministry and in reaching out to this community. And what a beautiful moment today was to be installed as pastor of this congregation. Would you be with us all? Would you help us all remember that we've got room to grow. We need people steering us towards God and we have the opportunity to steer others as well. But would you also capture our hearts, capture our lives with this urgency to be ready to say yes when you call. We love you, Lord. Be with us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. As we close our worship today, I invite you to stand and Hold out your hands in symbolism of receiving this benediction from God. May God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us, lead us to continue becoming one. And may our answer be yes. Go in the love of Christ. Amen. Amen.